Well, good morning, church. Boy, I look better in the dark, don't I? Yeah, some of y'all sleep better when I'm in the dark. That's really, I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm so glad you're here. Some of you are here because you've extended over the holidays. Some of you here are recovering from the holidays. Either way, I know this, Christmas Eve, well, Christmas Day, <clears throat> about eight o'clock, Tara and I were standing on our front porch watching our children drive away. <sighs> we had a great Christmas with our kids, and it's so great that they live in other places. So we're going to look forward to this next year. I, this past year was the year of hope, and we talked about hope for us and hope for us uh, personally, relationally, missionally as a church, and then to be the hope of the world. And this next year coming up, 2019, is the year of, get this, influence, influence. God has been cooking up some things in our lives, in the lives of my life personally, in our lives as a staff, in our life as a church to say that God wants us to be more influential, not only in our town, but actually in our world. So we're really excited about this, this year of, of influence. Uh, uh, Tara and I are gonna get to go to Costa Rica to teach uh, pastors there. Darn it, somebody's gotta coast to go to Costa Rica in March to teach pastors. Uh, we've been invited uh, to the church we've been working with in New York. Other places are, are saying, come and help us, a church locally that I, I really can't really talk about, but they've reached out to us to help them here locally. So it's gonna be amazing the year of influence. Now to get ready for that, this next year, we've really intentionally planned our teaching schedule in order to really have a major impact. And the first thing we need to talk about is how God is intentionally building your life. And so our first series right out of the box starting next week is My ID, My Intentional Discipleship. 18 times in the book of Luke, Jesus turns to his disciples and teaches them something that they need to learn and need to do. So over nine weeks, we're gonna go through the book of Luke. Now, nine of those are gonna be sermons and nine of those are a small group experience. So if you're not in a group, get in a group or form a group. Maybe your group is all your best friends, me, myself, and I. Get in a group and watch this material that goes along with the study of Luke. Uh, my intentional discipleship. So nine sermons, nine groups, materials. And also we've got a really cool resource for you that we found uh, the book of Luke, a single copy of the book of Luke. Now some of you are saying, why in the world do I wanna buy a single copy of the book of Luke when I got the whole daggum Bible, Scott? Because this was really cool. This is a place to read and a place to journal. You could journal your notes, your thoughts, sermon notes, teaching notes as they teach through this, things you could write down. This is a great tool. I don't know about you, but I am spiritually ADD. I start praying and I, you know, either I go to sleep or my mind goes to HEB or goes to a deer blind or something. So this gives me an opportunity to stay focused as I read. And as God jumps things off of the page, I can write it down, write it down. And so this is a great tool. We're selling these at the resource center just in cost recovery, so you guys can pick up this copy Luke. I gave Tara one of these for Christmas, and I think this might be her favorite Christmas present. Now, does my wife have a Bible? Yes, a bunch of them. But she's excited, as well as I am, to get into this, this, uh, this season. I actually read through the book of Luke. It took me about, oh, about a day, uh, maybe reading it for about three hours. I read through all 24 chapters. And it's so exciting. When I was reading, not having to teach it, just letting it soak into my heart and, and what things I saw. And I'm looking forward to us going through the book of Luke together. Then after we finish the book of Luke, 
Good job, Scott. After we finish the book of Luke, we're going to look at the book of John. Then after we finish the book of John, we're going to look at the life of Moses. The life of Moses and how God used a broken person in an exponential way. Now, do you know anybody who's broken? If you don't, I'll get you a mirror. You can look at somebody who's broken. That's you. How God wants to use you. Now, I want to say something about Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you for coming and leading us today. Didn't he do a great job? He and Andrea, the band. <clears throat> Jeremy and I go way back. Uh, back in 1992, I started a church in, in the mall in Victoria, Texas, and his aunt was my administrative assistant for five and a half years. And there came a time that we needed to, uh, to get a new worship leader, and her, her aunt says, I have this nephew of mine who's really gifted. And I'm going, yeah, okay, yeah, family members. Wah, 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 wah. And so actually when Jeremy was 24 or 25, yeah, he joined our staff team there and served with us in Victoria. And uh, Dan, I don't know if y'all know this, Faith, Dan's daughter got married yesterday. And so Dan was gonna work today. I said, no, you're not. You're gonna be a blubbering sack of emotions. You ain't gonna come today. So we gave him the day off, Jeremy, uh, his family lives in Belton, his parents do. So he lives in San Antonio. I said, we're on the way. Stop and lead worship for us this, today. So he came and his wife, Rachel, she's back there with Tara. And uh, when Jeremy uh, and Rachel were with us earlier, they had no children. Now they have three little girls. And they were all at our house last night. It was, a, it was an estrogen overload. Uh, it, it just, they're, they're beautiful little girls and they're uh, ages seven, five, and 15 months. And they have another little girl on the way. So that's four girls. So what did Jeremy do? He bought a boy dog for Christmas. Now, honestly, Jerry, a poodle's not much of a dog, but, or a male. Anyway, Jeremy's got a miniature poodle named Bo. That is their Christmas present. Well, we love Jeremy and Rachel, and I want you guys to love them as well, and they're visiting with us today, so y'all just give them a good, warm, Wimberly welcome, and uh, be sure to extend it, and I just love the way he sings. Now, we love Jeremy, but we adore Rachel. Kind of how y'all feel about me and Tara, right? Yeah. So, thank you for that. John Dunn, I heard you louder than anybody. That's, that's they, my, my, one of my advisor teams. I'm so excited about today because, listen to me, most of us need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. Isn't that right? To be reminded. A few years ago, back when my mother was still alive, I went back to my home church and I spoke at a revival. What? <laughs> that church really needed one. It didn't happen with me. Still needs one. But anyway, I went back there and I spoke and they gave me a love offering. And this is what my mother said to me. Scott, you need to remember now you need to tithe off of what you've been given. I said, Mama, I've been a preacher for 20 years. Don't you think I know about tithing? And the truth is, Mama wanted to remind me of what I already was instructed. So I didn't fuss at her. You couldn't fuss at my mama. I said, yeah, Mama, I know that. I'll be doing that. In fact, if you want to tithe to my church, you're welcome to do it because that thing's dead up there. But anyway, it's a whole other story. But we need to be reminded. So today, I want to take this opportunity to get this last time of the year in 2018 to remind you. Now, it's been an amazing, amazing year. God has done so much in the life of our church. We've grown, I think, Wyatt, you said at a 34% rate over this past year. And I want to say this to you, not braggadociously, because I don't know how we did this. 
but we're in the top 100 fastest growing churches in the United States. Is that crazy or what? Now, listen to me. Nobody's going to know that because we ain't going to tell it. Because I don't care about being in some magazine or speaking at a conference. Because very frankly, if you ask me how it happened, I could not tell you. God did it. And God's going to continue to do it. Now, I want to say one other thing, okay? This Christmas, we've literally seen thousands of people come through the doors of this church. It is none of our business how big this church gets. It's God's business. Our job is not to grow the church. Our job is to love one another and maintain unity and the bond of peace and be healthy and not crazy. God grows the church, isn't that right? And he can make this church any size he wants it to be. Is that okay? But let me say this to you. It's gonna take very unselfish people to reach people. So you have to set aside your rights, your privileges, your parking place, your seat in your pew, and your preference to see people come to Christ. But it's worth it. Now, I want to remind you of some things. Why do we exist? Why do we exist? We exist to honor God. That's why we exist. We don't exist for anybody's preference or pleasure. We exist to honor God. That's why the church exists. God started the church to honor him. He didn't start the church to make us comfortable. He started the church to be the hope of the world. What do we do? What do we do as we build lives that honor God? That's what we do. That's our job here. Our job is to bring you in, build you up, train you for, and send you out. Bring you in, build you up, train you for, send you out. Build, bring you in, build you up, train you for, send you out. Rawhide. Okay, you got it? And so that's, what, that's what, what we do. How do we do that? We do that by helping you connect with God through Jesus Christ and connect with each other in the family. Listen to me. Christmas Eve, we gave away over 20 new believers' packets. God does this. We don't do this. Now, somebody may be Christmas shopping back there. Everybody got a Bible for Christmas. I don't know. But I do know this. The gospel is going out, and we help people connect with God and connect with each other called the church because a Christian without a church family is a what? Spiritual orphan. All right, y'all are catching on. We, we help people grow in Christ-likeness so they can see like Jesus, speak like Jesus, hear like Jesus, have the mind of Christ. And you do that through spiritual disciplines. Why in the world do I want you to read through Luke this, this next uh, nine weeks in journal? So you'll grow to be like Christ. It's all about spiritual growth, about you becoming like Jesus. And then we serve God by serving others. You've got to get your serve on. To quote the great theologian Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. I wonder who Bob serves. Question for Bob Dylan. And then finally, we share the love of God in word and deed. We contagiously tell the good news about Christ and we help the hurting and the troubled and the disheveled. And next week in the first series, the first sermon uh, out of my ID, my intentional discipleship, I'm gonna be talking about the mission of Jesus and how that mission is ours and how God wants to do something in you, for you, and through you for his glory. So don't miss next week. Either join us online or join us live. I heard a lady say to me this morning, it's a great, great comment. She gave me a hug and she says, hey, I'm gonna be out for the next couple of weeks, but I'm gonna join you online because I don't wanna miss anything. I said, that's great. And, she, and I said, isn't it great that we have online technology? And she said, yeah, but you don't get a hug when you're online. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I said, well, we better hug you up real good for the season you're going to miss. But that's true. In person is always better. So we exist to honor God. But here's the question. What do we do now? What are those next steps for us individually and corporately? And very frankly, I'll tell you this. I don't know. I don't know what God wants you to do. I'm really not positive of what God wants his church to do. But I do know this as a church, as your pastor, I've said yes to Jesus before he's asked us. He has my yes before he asks. And that's either crazy or it's crazy. But I trust the one who's making the ask more than I trust myself who has the preference. There's an old story. I don't know if it's true or not. It's probably not. It's probably a preacher story. But there was a a Jewish rabbi from Russia, a Russian rabbi. Doesn't that sound like a preacher story? He was very discouraged. It was the, the Winter time in Siberia, and I don't know if you guys ever lived way up north in the winter. I have. Uh, it would, the sun doesn't rise. It ekes over the horizon. and sneaks across the southwest corner and sets, just kind of comes up. In Canada, it would get daylight at 8.30 in the morning and dark at about 4.15 in the afternoon. Someone said to me today, did you see the pictures from Lubbock? I said, no. They had 16 inches of snow. I went, my soul, we had four feet one weekend in Canada four feet of snow. Somebody said, oh, I bet that was beautiful. No, it was horrible. (laughs) Get out there and shovel that mess. Every two hours, you have to shovel a mess or you couldn't get out of your house. In this dark wintertime, this rabbi, discouraged and depressed, he wandered out into the Siberian night. And while he was wandering, he walked onto a restricted area. Of course, it set off the alarms and lights came on and shone on him. He stood there kind of frozen And this voice came from the darkness. Who are you and what are you doing here? The rabbi was startled by all that and he said, excuse me? And the voice came again, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi said, young man, how much money do you make every day? The voice goes, does it matter? Who are you and what are you doing here? He said, no, you don't understand. I will pay you that amount every day to ask me those two questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? What is your purpose? Why has God placed you in this epoch of history, in this time and place? Why are you here in this room today or online today? What are you doing here? What does God want or expect from you? Now, I wrote this talk about uh, two weeks ago. It's been sitting on the back burner of the stove like a good pot of pinto beans with a little fat back and jalapeno in it. And as as I've let this marinate in my soul, I realize, I'm going to admit this, I'm preaching to me today. Y'all just going to get the leftovers. And I got into the book of 1 Thessalonians and knowing that this is one of the first letters Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonians, that it's one of his first letters. And get this, most of Paul's churches he planted are gone, but the church at Thessalonica still is there. And Paul planted this church and he loved these people and he spoke to them with clarity. In fact, First Thessalonians got into my heart so much, I wanted to teach through the whole two books 
but that would make our staff really angry if I changed everything in the middle of the course. And they're all agreeing. And Joe's somewhere going, I'm glad he didn't do that. Yes. So we're going to stick with Luke. But today I want you to dive into this and hear what God wants to say to you today about who you are and what you're doing here to end this year of hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray, Father, that you speak through me, that it'll not be my words or my thoughts or my opinion, but your truth that leads us to an understanding and an obedience to you to follow you with passion and conviction. So thank you for what you're going to say. And we pray all of this in your son's strong name. Amen. Amen. Now take your Take the Weekend with you notes out. You might want to jot down a few things, some things to remember. Remember the online resources we provide, the group material we provide, the daily readings we provide. They're all there. Next week, we'll start a whole new series. We've got a videotaped. In fact, this, not this week, but next week, I'm going to Alabama to film the series for John. So you guys can look forward to John and what Jesus did at John to show us his divinity. So you look forward to that in the days ahead. Here's the first thing I want you to write down or note. You have been chosen by God. You have been chosen by God. Now, as I say that, I realize, why did God pick me? What made me so special that God would select me? What makes you so special? <laughs> Nothing. Other than the fact that he created you to love you and you've been chosen by God. Now, when I say that, I, my mind goes back to, to junior high school. And you remember when you'd pick teams? You know, you, you'd pick teams and, uh, you know, and you'd have a captain and they'd be picking people and they'd pick people and pick people. I remember one time that I was picked last. And this, I was really, I know it's going to be hard to believe, I was really competitive and really aggressive really aggressive, like got into 21 fights in my seventh grade year. I was really aggressive. And it's really bad when your father's a school principal. I was really aggressive. I understood the board of education very well. And I remember being picked last. And this is what I said to the other team. They picked me last. I said, you go pay for this. You go pay for this because I'm going to beat you like a rented mule. And I did. You know, you weren't picked last. You have been chosen by God, intentionally wooed by his spirit in this place, in this season, in this room, online right now, by the divine intention of God. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. But you know what? It's not just Paul. This is a great revelation to me as I looked at it again. Paul did things in community. It's his small group that's writing to you. Paul, Silvius, and Timothy. And they were riding together to the, church of to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because a church is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not a, uh, an organization. We are not a building. We are not an institution. We are a people and we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Grace to you and peace. A standard greeting, but a greeting packed with so much heartfelt meaning and emotion. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remember before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. 
I read this, and it just, it made me think of you. That thinking about you in my prayers, there's so many of you. I'm looking across this room today, and I see so many of you. You've bubbled up in my mind in my prayers. Even some of you teenagers, I pray for y'all extra. The Holy Spirit whispers, pray for that one. Okay. And, and I'm praying for you. It, it, why do I do Because I love you. And this is what Paul was saying, Timothy and Silvanius were saying. They love these people and they were praying for them. They care about them. You know, Jeremy and Rachel have not been our part of our lives on a consistent basis for about 10 years. And we love them and we pray for them. We pray for them. We pray for them every time we hear they're having a baby. That's a lot, Jeremy. <laughs> we're praying that you'll have no more, but that's, that's between you and and God, yeah, so he says, shut up and go on. Okay, yeah. So that's this whole process of, of because of a love and love relationship. Now get this, we are called out individually by God, but together. Because we're to be the hope of the world together. A Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. That God wants us to be together. When I wrote my book, uh, Sifted Leadership, in fact, one of my goals for 19 is to write my next book, which is called Revenant Church. Revenant Church. You'll say, what the heck is that? Revenant means the one who's been brought back from the dead. Revenant Church, the one who's been brought back from the dead. So we're, I'm working on that now. I have it outlined. And, but anyway, when I was working on Sifted Leadership, uh, I got into a huge argument with my editor. For some reason, my editor, she had two doctorates, one in New Testament and one in English. And she thought I was an uneducated, ignorant bumpkin. Can you imagine that? <laughs> and we, we got into this big discussion about the word ecclesia, or ecclesia, either way you want to pronounce that. And that's the Greek word for church. Now, if you look at the common Greek language, it means the assemble, the assembly. For example, when Paul was in uh, in trouble in Philippi, an assembly rose up against him and made accusations and had him thrown in prison. The word there, an ecclesia, rose up against him. And she quoted that, and I said, yes, but go back to what happened at Caesarea Philippi, the book of Matthew, when Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. I said, you've got to look at the textual content she used there in the original language. She said, how dare you question my knowledge of Greek, you ignorant bumpkin. But I proved her right because the church was not an assembly. It was called out, called together for a purpose. And the purpose is the global glory of God. It's not a building. You say, well, this is the church. No, it's not. We are the church. This is a church building. This building will not go to heaven but you will if you trust in Christ. Oh, I'm glad this building won't go to heaven. <clears throat> Not because I don't like the building, but I don't want to give my life for a piece of property. I want to give my life for the global glory of God and God loves people more than anything. But you have been called out into something, into a people, into a family. And I understand the prayers and and I'm so thankful for you. I love you guys. I feel like, 
You know, I pastored for so many years and then I stepped into consulting, helping churches all over the United States. And then Wyatt, on a weak moment, he calls and he unzips the tent and he lets the monkey in. And I come and then I start working with you guys and you captured my heart. You're so loving. You're so friendly. It's so exciting here. And, and you're just a gift to me. And I thank God for you. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be a vital part of a movement that is us individually, collectively, to do the work of God. You've been selected by God, elected by him, selected by his grace. That's all started by God's initiation. He's the one who invited you. He's the one who invited you. Yesterday afternoon, about... uh, 1245. The wedding was at two. Tara and I were going to leave our house at 115 to go do the wedding for Faith and Colby. About 1245, we got a call. It was from dear friends of ours who said, hey, we're about 30 minutes from your house. We're going to drop in and see you. They live down in Victoria. I said, hey, uh, we're not going to be here, but come and let yourself in. Why? Why? Because 29 years ago, we invited them into our lives as friends. And once they received the invitation into our lives as friends, they needed no further invitation. They could come as they please. That's how God is with you. Some of you say, well, I've been far away from God. He hadn't been far away from you. Well, I haven't been a part of the church. Yeah, you have. You just didn't know it. That God has brought you together, selected and started by. Why, did, why does God do that? Because he loves you. That's why. Because he loves me. It's because of faith through grace, not of my works, but his goodness. And here's the last thing I want to say about this. That we are then held by the Holy Spirit. Held by the Holy Spirit. I can't help but get a little emotional as I look around this room. Because some of you, I know your stories. I know your stories. And if I had a glimpse in, onto social media now, I'd probably know some of your stories as well. And I know that how the Holy Spirit has held you. Yesterday when Colby and Faith were getting married, I said, you're gonna experience times of great euphoria and joy. You're gonna experience some times of great heartache and disappointment. And one day, one day, one of you is gonna lay the other one in the arms of Jesus. And God will be with you the whole way. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are held by his spirit. No matter what you do, where you go, your life has been changed. And my life has been changed. I am no longer who I once was. You're marked by the faithful work of God. Because he's held you by his spirit, you've done the good that needs doing and love the ones that need loving. The ministry opportunities here from the kids that have been influenced through camps and vacation Bible school and ongoing ministry to students and children to the amazing work uh, Carpenter's Helpers have done and other community impact that's done in helping people. Uh, we're, we're so excited. I will say this to you. This has not been announced yet, but this church, we are purchasing a food trailer so we can feed hungry people. How cool is that? Some of y'all may be hungry right now, aren't you? 
I talked about pinto beans and y'all got to drooling. All for King Jesus. The good that's been done in Cuba and coming up in Costa Rica and other places in the Spanish-speaking world. is so exciting. It's amazing. Your loving deed, your enduring hope. As we see the year of hope unfold, it has been all for Jesus. I have a pastor friend of mine, actually two pastor friends of mine. They said, what did you preach last year? And I said, we did the year of hope. And I said, they said, tell me about it. And I told him about it. I said, can we have your sermon outlines? I said, how many? He said, all of them. Because this year we want to take our church through the year of hope. So it's like one chef handing other chefs their recipes. It's not plagiarism. It's called research. And we'll see hope spring up because this is what God does. That's why we're to be a church of influence. A church of influence. I have a pastor friend of mine, he's planting a church and he has a full-time job. He, he doesn't have time to write sermons. So I send him my messages and he improves them. Uh, Tara listens to him on the internet and said, he's better than you. I said, well, I'm writing this stuff, but he's making it better than you. And I'm so excited for him. I forgot to send him my sermon for this week. And he, on Friday, he said, hey, hey, dude, where's the sermon? <laughs> so I had to stop what I was doing and send it to him. Why? Because of love because of relationship, because we're in this together. And in this, listen to this, you're an example. You're an example. One of the most intimidating things Paul ever said to the churches he wrote to, he said this, come follow me while I follow Christ. That's what God wants you to be able to say. Come follow me while I follow Christ. Whew. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. In other words, Paul and Silvius and Timothy lived lives of integrity in front of these people. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word with such affliction. The church was under persecution but with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Acacia. And I read this and I'm going, I love the fact that you guys have responded to the word of God and the evidence has been your life change, your changed life. And you're saying, well, Scott, you, you really don't know what God has done in my life or you don't know what I struggle with. I don't, but Jesus does. And I look across this room, and I don't know all of you in this room. I, my goal is to. I don't want to tell you this. You know what the biggest life change has been this year? Me. Me. Stretched and encouraged. So many times on my knees going, God, what in the world do you want me to do? Given opportunities to do these things. But God gives us the courage. And you guys, you've allowed me to lead you. And there's not a lot of pastors who could say that. You've allowed me to lead you. Thank you. Thank you for trusting. Thank you for following. You don't follow blindly. Heck, you're Texans. You don't do anything blindly. We follow together. And this church has become an example to other churches. All for Jesus. All for Jesus.
because you're reflecting the hope of Jesus. Listen to what Paul goes on to say. It's like Paul wrote this chapter to you. Listen to what else he says. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Arcasia, the word sounded forth literally is translated trumpeted, like blowing a trumpet. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols and to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. What Paul is saying there so eloquently is that the gospel has trumpeted out because this church and because you individually have chosen to live out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to make Jesus famous. This lady said to me, she said, I don't remember everything you preach on, but one thing I do remember you saying is that a hundred years from now, nobody will know who you are, but will they know Jesus because of who I am? That we do not live to leave a legacy for ourselves. We live to make Jesus famous. I listen to presidents, their second term, they usually say, what kind of legacy they want to leave. We could barely remember who was used to be president until they died that we throw a big party. But will we be famous? Will Jesus be famous because we lived? And the goal of our life is consumed in the everlasting call of Jesus Christ to live to make him famous. And then Paul says something different. Paul, Sylvia, and Timothy <clears throat> says something that I don't think we consider much anymore. I grew up in the 70s, so we, we experienced that a lot. Some of y'all looking at my shirt said, that explains it. Actually, the Easter bunny threw up on me today. That's why this shirt looks this way. But are we living with the end in mind? You know, the people of Paul's day, they believed so much that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming back. They lived in such a way that he was coming back. He was coming back. But do we live that way? Yesterday, actually the day before yesterday, Friday, um, Tara made a run to HEB. And uh, she, she left me at home and I was watching football and she made a run to HEB. Well, we, if some of you have been to our house, you know, we had kind of a back room of TV and you could see the driveway and the drive down from the road driving down. And uh, I'm watching TV with my eyes closed. And, and the next thing I know, I hear a rustle at the back door and there's Tara with all these bags of groceries and open it says, did you see me coming? No, I was sleeping. Immediately I thought, isn't that the way we live? The Lord is coming. Do we live with that expectation? I saw a t-shirt once that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. It's kind of a different way of saying, I want to live with the expectation of Christ's return. Is it today? I, 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 I want to tell you, I, I don't think it's going to be today. I don't know what it's going to be. I do know this. Jesus said this in the Olivet Discourse in, in the book of uh, Matthew. He says, the gospel will be preached to all the earth. Then the end will come. And there's 3,000 people groups who've yet to hear the gospel. And that number is decreasing every day. 
Are we living with the realization that today may be the, the day or the day of our home going? The Native Americans used to have a statement, this is a really good day to die. Are we living with that kind of expectation? You see, this church at Thessalonica, they were. Are we? Are we? Are we? And I listen to that, and the resounding question comes to my mind is this. Who am I? What am I doing here? Who are we and what are we doing here? And what do we need to change? And I need to take stock personally. Personally. Can I say to you, come follow me while I follow Christ? Can you turn to your spouse and say, come follow me while I follow Christ? Turn to your kids and say, come follow me while I follow Christ. Turn to your neighbors, come follow me while I follow Christ. Because when you make that audacious, bold statement, man, you just, you just, you wrote a big check. Are you going to say, ah, good luck with that? Good luck with that. I realized something at the end of the last gathering. That we need a good old-fashioned Revival. We need a good old-fashioned, we used to call this in the church, we need a good old-fashioned rededication. Where we go, come back to Jesus, say, Jesus, I know I belong to you, but I'm going to remind myself I belong to you because I need to be reminded more and I need to be instructed. Jesus, I'm yours. And you know what this preacher did at the end of the last service? I went public with my rededication. I am rededicating my life to Christ. Come follow me. Why I follow him. Will you join me in that rededication? Some of you in this room, you need to make the first dedication. The dedication that prays and receives Christ as Savior. Who are you? And what are you doing here?